Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. We're in Hosea chapter 8. I'm going to go ahead and read the chapter, and then we're going to kind of dig right back through it. So chapter 8, verse 1 of Hosea. It says, Set the trumpet to your mouth. He shall come like an eagle against the house of the Lord, because they have transgressed my covenant and rebelled against my law. Israel will cry to me, My God, we know you. Israel has rejected the good. The enemy will pursue him. They set up kings, but not by me. They made princes, but I did not acknowledge them. From their silver and gold they made idols for themselves, that they might be cut off. Your calf is rejected, O Samaria. My anger is aroused against them. How long until they attain innocence? From, uh, for from Israel is even this, a, work, a workman made it, and it is not God. But the calf of Samaria shall be broken to pieces. They sow the wind and reap the whirlwind. The stock has no bud. It shall never produce meal. If it should produce, aliens would swallow it up. Israel is swallowed up. Now they are among the Gentiles like a vessel in which is no pleasure. For they have gone up to Assyria like a wild donkey alone by itself. Ephraim has hired lovers. Yes, though they have hired among the nations, now I will gather them. And they shall sorrow a little because of the burden of the king of princes. Because Ephraim has made many altars for sin, they have become for him altars for sinning. I have written for him the great things of my law, but they were considered a strange thing. For the sacrifices of my offense are for my offerings. They sacrifice flesh and eat it, but the Lord does not accept them. Now he will remember their iniquity and punish their sins. They shall return to Egypt. For Israel has forgotten his maker and has built temples, and Judah has multiplied fortified cities. But I will send fire upon his cities, and it shall devour his palaces. So here in Hosea chapter 8, the Lord God is just showing Israel their apostasy, how they've they've rebelled against him. Uh, Israel, God's people, God's nation, and how they've turned from him. And so in the very beginning there in verse 1, it says, Set the trumpet to your mouth. He shall come like an eagle against the house of the Lord, because they have transgressed my covenant and rebelled against my law. Set the trumpet to your mouth. Hosea is being called by the Lord as a watchman for the northern kingdom of Israel. He's being said, hey, blow the horn, sound the, har- the sirens, you know, raise the alarm. Why? Because the eagle is going to uh, come against, uh, the, he shall come against the house of Israel like an eagle. Uh, house of the Lord, excuse me. The eagle that is being referred to there was Shalmaneser, who is the king of Assyria. And it's referring to the swiftness of his conquest. And, and you can read all about it uh, if you're interested, not now, but later in Second Kings chapter 17. Deals with It talks all about how uh, Israel was finally taken into captivity and what happened in that event. And it says Shalmaneser would come like an eagle against the house of of the Lord and and we're not talking about the temple remember the temple is in the southern kingdom of Judah we're talking about the northern kingdom the northern 10 tribes of Israel Jerusalem would be destroyed and the temple would be destroyed later by the Babylonians probably about 100 or so years later this is prior or this is prior to this and so what is the house of the Lord being spoken of it's the family of God in other words it's the children of Israel it's God's people 
the northern ten tribes of Israel, the family of God. Throughout the Bible, houses are not just buildings, but they're also talking about families in the Bible. And so this judgment is coming against the family of God, the house of Israel. And you know, Peter writes about that in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 17, when he says, For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. God judges his people first and foremost. Malachi 3.5, the Lord was speaking through Malachi to his people and says, I will come near for you, uh, I will come near you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against sorcerers, against adulterers, against perjurers, against those who exploit wage earners and widows and orphans, and against those who turn away an alien because they do not fear me. These are God's people that he's talking about. Because you're involved in sorcery. And you know, when I came, when I rededicated my life to the Lord, I was involved in drugs. And I, and I thought, hey, you know, um, it, it's the herbs of the earth. You know, it's like it's, God created it and I'm just enjoying it. You know, and I, I had this attitude. I, I believe in God. I'm a Christian. Well, at least I was, thought I was acting like a Christian. But, you know, I had this, this attitude about it until someone happened to share with me and said, you know that sorcery in the Bible is, is the pharmac- the word is pharmakeia, it means drugs. And all, all of a sudden, oh man, the light was shown in my heart. I've been sinning against, I've been a sorcerer. I've been involved in drugs. And so this is what he's talking about, against sorcerers, against adulterers, against perjurers, that's people that lie, um, against those who exploit wagers and widows and orphans. In other words, they cheat people, against those who turn away an alien. I was thinking about that yesterday. You know, we had people that were, and there were some people that were there, the part of our outreach, not of our fellowship, but part of the other fellowship that were very apprehensive, like, you know, this is like, they must have saw the movie The Wild Ones. You remember that? With Marlon Brando? They come into the town of Hollister and they tear up the town. And it's like, it's just this, 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 this scary thing, you know, these bikers t- taking over a town. And I think some people had that attitude. In fact, Teresa and I think uh, Tracy were talking to some neighbor a couple houses down. And they're like, you guys don't know what you're getting into. You know, it's like, they're going to tear up, you know, it's going to be terrible. They're people. Yeah, they may be rough around the edges, but they're people that need Jesus just as much as anybody else does. And and so, you know, we, we don't turn them away. We wanted to, we wanted to minister to them. And so, but here the people are being uh, convicted by the Lord because they were turning away strangers and turning away orphans, excuse me, aliens. Um, there's a lot of responsibility for you and I as believers. Jesus said in Luke 12, talking about his servants, is in the servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself or do according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. But he who did not know yet committing things deserving of stripes shall be beaten with few. For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. And to whom much has been give, uh, committed, of him they will ask the more. You see, God's people have been given so much. They have been given God's word. They had been given the covenant. They had been given so much from the Lord, and they knew, and yet they turned from God. And so their, you know, their responsibility was that much more uh, for them. And, th- and that's why uh, the judgment was going to begin with them first. So in verse 2, it says, Israel will cry to me, my God, we know you. So you can just imagine, they're going into captivity, or they will be going into captivity with the Assyrians. And by the way, the Assyrians were a very frightening force. They, they, were, they were ruthless. 
the Babylonians were bad, but the Syrians were, they just, they were bloodthirsty. Um, they did things purposely to scare the dickens out of their enemies, the people that they'd conquest. You know, they put hooks in their, they put hooks in their bot, in their mouths and stuff. They would just, they would, they did all kinds of terrible things to people. Uh, they just had such a bad reputation. And so here, you know, as Israel is going into captivity, these people, they'll be, they'll be crying out, Lord God, like, what's happening? We, we know you, God. Why is this happening? Is what this is speaking about. You see, the problem with Israel at this point was a problem of distance. You might say, what are you talking about? You know, there's a lot of people today that say that they know the Lord. In fact, I bet yesterday if you talked to a lot of people and say, do you know the Lord? They'd probably say, yeah, I know the Lord. But the thing is, there's going to be a lot of people who are going to end up 18 inches away from eternal life. You go, 18 inches? What do you mean by that? 18 inches is about the distance from your brain to your heart. And there's going to be a lot of people that know the Lord, or say they know the Lord, but they don't have that relationship with the Lord. Those, that 18 inches is what makes the difference. And so these people, they say they know the Lord. You know, Jesus talked about this, too, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 22. He said, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. You see, knowing the Lord is not just a, it's not just a head knowledge that you know who the Lord is. It also implies intimacy and a relationship. First John 1 6 says, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. If we say we have a relationship with the Lord, we should be walking according to that relationship. We should be walking in truth. 1 John 2, uh, verses 3 through 6 kind of gives us the test of whether we know the Lord intimately. You know, you can ask yourself that. Do I know the Lord intimately? You know, do I have that relationship where the Lord, I know the Lord and the Lord knows me? Well, listen to this. Now by this we may know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his truth excuse me, keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. But Israel is going to be in for a big surprise. Lord, we know you. But God says, man, I don't know you. We don't have a relationship. You've turned away from me. Verse 3 says, Israel has rejected the good. The enemy will pursue him. That word rejected also means cast off. They have cast off the good. Listen to Psalm 81, verse 10. It says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Open wide your mouth, and I will fill it. But my people would not heed my voice, and Israel would have none of me. So I gave them over to their own stubborn heart to walk in their own counsels. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. I would soon subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their adversaries. The haters of the Lord would pretend submission to him, but their fate would endure forever. He would have fed them also with the finest of wheat and with the honey from the rock. I would have satisfied you. When you're in a right relationship with the Lord, the Lord God wants to bless you. He wants, to, he wants to take care of your needs. He wants to satisfy you. He will satisfy you when you're walking with Him. But Israel, they rejected the good that the Lord had for them. How did they reject the good? Well, verse 4, it starts out, they rejected their king. 
Verse 4 says, They set up kings, but not by me. They made princes, but I did not acknowledge them. From their silver and gold they made idols for themselves, that they might be cut off. You know, even before the nation of Israel, the northern tribe of Israel and the southern tribe of Judah, even before they had civil war, when they were still one nation known as the nation of Israel, even back then they rejected their king. And it's interesting because the word Israel, if you do a word study, it really literally just boils down to this, led by God. That's what the word Israel means, led by God. And so God set up Israel as a nation. He raised them up from nothing, from a family, basically made them a nation and said, I will be your king. I'll take care of you. Just listen to me. Follow my, you know, just follow my commands. I'll bless you. I'll take care of you. And, uh, but they wanted king. They wanted a king like all the other kings that, you know, all the other nations around them that had kings. And Samuel, who was the prophet of the Lord that time, he was really upset. He's like, God, is, you know, he took it upon himself. He felt really burdened. I don't know if you've ever shared the Lord with someone and, and had a negative response from them. Sometimes we take it personally. It's like, they hate me. Well, no, no, no. They hate Jesus in you. And so Samuel, he was all bummed out. And God basically said, hey, Samuel, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. And so then God gave them first Saul. That didn't turn out too good. And then he gave him David, and after David, he gave him the sons of David. But the northern kingdom, they rejected that Davidic line of, of kings, you know, David and his sons. And Israel, uh, they basically set up their own kings. They followed kings that were chosen by man and not who God had appointed. And of course, later on, the Jews rejected their Messiah. It's interesting, John 19, verse 15. Remember when Pilate said, hey, what am I going to do with this man, the king of the Jews? And it says, but they cried out, uh, away with him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? And the chief priests answered, man, we have no king but Caesar. Wow. I mean, they, that, what a condemnation. Man, we don't, we don't want that king. And they didn't want Caesar. <laughs> I mean, think about it. They didn't want, I mean, Roman, Roman rule was, you know, it was, it was authoritarian. It was cruel. It was harsh. And they, they, they rejected the good, and they just clung to the, to the worst. This is what Israel said. You know, Jesus said in John chapter 10, he said, I am the good shepherd, and I am known by my, and I know my sheep, and I am known by them. Let me reword that. <laughs> I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and am known by my own. And then later on in verse 27, he says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Well, ask yourself this. If Jesus is your shepherd, are you following his leading in your life? Or are you following your own will? You know, sometimes you know, we read God's Word, the Bible, but a lot of times it's, it's, you know, we read it and then as it reveals things to us, we have a choice to make. Are we going to submit to God's word as it's revealed to us or are we going to walk away from it? When, when I heard that, uh, you know, sorcery and drugs, it was pretty much synonymous. Um, I had a choice at that point. Am, am I going to reject what was just revealed to me through God's Holy Spirit? Or am I going to walk away from it? And, and I did walk away from it for a while, but not too long. Because the Holy Spirit kept knocking on my heart. And, and eventually I just, I just, I, I was driving from California to um, 
to Minnesota. I was in the Coast Guard, and I was getting stationed. Um, I had left my mom's house, my parents' house, and my mom basically said, uh, uh, you don't need to bother coming back because, you know, I was like, uh, it wasn't a good good deal back then. Anyways, so I'm driving, and, and I'm like, I am so, I'm, I'm just hearing this message about, you know, sin and drugs, and I knew that I was in sin, and this new truth had been revealed to me, and uh, I couldn't get away from it. And so I was looking for hitchhikers, because uh, I mean, I got to talk to someone, because, I mean, these voices, <laughs> I'm hearing voices, you know, and it was just driving me nuts. And I couldn't find out. Now, nowadays, you don't see too many hitchhikers on the highways, but back in the 80s, 70s and 80s, you know, they were all over the place. I couldn't find a single one. So for basically two and a half, three days, I was by myself with the Holy Spirit just convicting me, convicting me. By the time I got, I, just, I had just crossed the South Dakota border, just got, I was on Interstate uh, 90, so I guess being North Dakota. And I just, the very first rest drop in, uh, in Minnesota was my Bethel. Because at that point, I, I pulled over. I, uh, I I had a bag of dope. Got rid of the bag of dope. I had a six pack of beer on my you know right on my seat next to me. Threw that threw it all in the in the garbage can there at the rest area. Got on my knees and say, Lord, I just surrender. Gave my heart back to the Lord. Um, but we have a choice to make. Well, Israel had a choice to make, and they basically they didn't want to submit to God's word, and so they effectively they rejected their king. And so, you know, it's really serious for you and I when, when God reveals things to us in his word and we just kind of go, ah, I just don't want to, I don't want to listen to it. Well, you know what? We're effectively rejecting our king because when we say Jesus is our Lord, you know what Lord means? Supreme in authority. And so if we, if we say, well, you know, I, I don't want to follow what I just, this has been revealed to me. I, I'm, I, it's, I'm not going to listen to it. Well, you're rejecting your king. That's what Israel did. Not only have they rejected their king, it says, but from silver and gold they made idols for themselves. They took their material wealth, which was a blessing from God. God had blessed the nation of Israel. You think of the king, the, the kingdom of you know under David, but then under his son Solomon. I mean, it was the wealthiest kingdom around. Solomon was the wealthiest man that ever lived. God had blessed them so much materially. But by this time, they had taken their material wealth and they had spent it on idols to worship the Lord. And even Hosea, back in chapter 2, mentions that in verse 8. He says, For she did not know that I gave her grain, new wine and oil, and multiplied her silver and gold, which they prepared for Baal. I think for many people, there's a case of a lack of thankfulness. You know, when you're not thankful for what the Lord's blessed you with, and you start thinking, you know, when, when you and I don't recognize that everything that we have, our incomes, our health, our homes, our jobs, even the intellect to be able to do our jobs, or the physical, maybe, maybe you just got a physical job, that physical ability, man, that's all a blessing from the Lord. None of it is from ourselves. And so we should be so thankful that the Lord has given us those abilities or given us those talents or, or blessed us. And, and when you don't recognize that and you're not thankful for that, well, then you start thinking, hey, it's my money. It's my talent. It's my abilities. This is my house. I've worked for this thing. We lose our thankfulness. And then pretty soon our attitude is, I earned it, and I'm going to do with it what I want because it's mine. Well, of course, money and materialism are not the only idols that people make for themselves. 
You know, people worship all kinds of things instead of the Lord. In fact, that's basically what the definition of what an idol is. An idol is anything that you put in between your relationship and God. And so it may be a, it may be a relationship. It could be finances. It could be your career. It could be anything. You could worship anything, and, and those become idols. Well, in the northern kingdom, they made uh, for themselves calves to worship, and that was through Jeroboam, the first king of, king of Israel. And so here in verse 5 of chapter 8, it says, Your calf is rejected, O Samaria. My anger is aroused against them. How long until they attain to innocence? Now, many translations uh, of this verse say, uh, basically, your calf is rejected, which that makes sense, right? God would reject man's idols. And so God rejected Israel's idols. But it's interesting because one of the translations, which is the King James Version, says, Thy calf, O Samaria, has cast thee off. In other words, you haven't, you know, it it's kind of changes the meaning of the verse. Rather than God has rejected the calf, which would be untrue, but it's saying your calf has rejected you. And I was thinking about that. You know, that really is the case with anyone that worships an idol. Anyone that puts something in between their relationship with God, eventually that thing that you've placed in between your relationship with God, it's going to turn on you. If you worship your health, you know, or your power, eventually you're going to lose that power. If you worship, you know, I, I look at these celebrities, these, these young women that are, you know, and they, they flaunt their bodies and, and they, 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 they just, they're worshiping their beauty. Well, eventually, man, that beauty is going to disappear. I mean, it's going to, it's going to start, gravity is going to take its effect and pretty soon, you know, that, that beauty is not going to be there. And if they've built their life, you know, all their, all their focus on that, it's, and it was an idol to them, eventually that idol is going to turn on them. And where are they going to be then? One of the guys that was at the uh, that came, the guy that actually, the guy I was telling you about that led uh, Chad to the Lord. He was, he said he's got three sons, and um, one of them just got a contract with the Wild, and another one's playing football somewhere. And, and apparently, they're very, very talented. Three three men that are very, or young young men that are very, very talented. And he said, you know, he said, I told my kids, said eventually that talent goes. He goes, well, the only thing that lasts is character. So, so don't, don't just focus on your talent. Focus on your character because talent comes and talent goes. He goes, and, and so this is the big guy, right? He goes, he goes, you know, I used to press 650 pounds. And I'm like, and he goes, he goes, you know, he goes, but I'm like 50 years old now. He goes, man, I, I, I can only leg press that now. And I'm thinking, man, I can't even lift 60 pounds. <laughs> I didn't tell him that, but I'm like, whoa, yeah, I can identify with you, but I'm like, Wow. But, you know, that was, his, that was his ministry. That was his focus, you know, this power, strength, and everything. But he even recognized eventually that's going to go. And so, you know, uh, we have to build that, you know, the character is what matters. One day the most powerful person is not going to be the top dog. Eventually there's going to be someone more powerful. The, the, the most talented athlete or the most talented surgeon, you know, whatever it is, eventually there's going to be someone that's more talented. Eventually they're going to lose that talent or that ability. That's just the nature of, of idolatry. And it's such a lie of the enemy. You know, we, we, we worship these things, but eventually they're going to turn on us. You know, if money's your, if money's your God, I think, you know, it's, it's a very shaky God to, to, to worship because eventually it's going to turn on you. And it says, my anger is aroused against them. How long until they attain to innocence? Other translations say, how long will you be incapable of innocence? 
Proverbs one twenty two says, How long, you simple ones, will you love simplicity? For scorners delight in their scorning, and fools hate knowledge. Turn at my rebuke. Surely I will pour out my spirit on you, and I will make my words known to you. In Jeremiah 4, verse 14, it says, O Jerusalem, wash your heart from wickedness that you may be saved. How long shall your evil thoughts lodge within you? Last week when we were talking about all these sins and and God kept pleading with Israel to turn back to Him, we see the same thing here. Do you sense God's patience? He's like saying, how long are you going to continue in that path? How long till you start turning to me? How long till you attain to innocence? So even, even in these condemnations against Israel, you still see the heart of a loving God who loves his people and wants them to turn back to him. Verse 6, For from Israel is even this, a workman made it, and it is not God, but the calf of Samaria shall be broken to pieces. If you read it, that the sense you get from that, it says, you know, even from Israel, this is happening. In other words, it's hard to believe Israel, the people that are led by God, have turned to idolatry. Israel ruled by God. Remember Jacob? Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel? You know, his first name was the supplanter, which in our, in our day and age would be the hustler, basically. You know, he, this, guy was a, this guy was a, you know, a con artist. And uh, God got a hold of him, and he wrestled with God, and finally he surrendered. And you remember he ended up getting that limp? And, and he, started, he had to walk with a cane, and, and, now, and then God says, no longer is your name Jacob, your name's Israel. You're led by me. God had to get him to a point where he finally surrendered, and he was no longer the hustler. He was no longer Jacob. Now he's Israel, led by God. The Lord wanted us to do that with each one of us, to get us to this point where we'll just completely lean on him. We don't, have, we don't lean on our own strength anymore. And so Jacob finally surrendered to the Lord. That's the nation of Israel, his 12 sons, the 12 tribes of Israel. The Israel led by God. And yet now they have completely turned from God. Even Israel, even God's own people, they've turned from him and are worshiping idols. In Jeremiah 2.11 it says this, Has a nation changed its gods which are not gods? But my people have changed their glory for what does not profit. It's just like it just boggles the mind of God. My own people turn from me. Verse seven and they, verse seven says, "They sow the wind, and reap the whirlwind. The stock has no bud; it shall never produce meal. If it should produce, aliens would swallow it up." That verse is probably well known to most of us. At least the first part, right? Sowing to the wind and reaping the whirlwind. You think about that when a farmer sows seed. You know, they're not sowing a ton of, well, they're sowing seed, and it's a small, you're putting a little bit into the ground, you're watering it, you're letting it rain, whatever it is, you know, the sun's, you know, doing its job, and, and eventually that, that little amount of seed that you put is going to give you a bumper crop back. You're putting a little bit in, but you're hoping you're going to get a lot back. And, and if God blesses you that year, you have a bumper crop, you know, God's blessed you with an abundance. Well, the same thing is the pictures here. They're sowing a little bit of seed, but they're reaping the whirlwind. They're sowing to the wind, but they're reaping the, reaping the whirlwind. And, you know, that's so much so true when you and I, we, we compromise. We start sinning. It's like it's, it's just a little sin. It's just a little compromise. But you know what? You're going to reap a bumper crop eventually. You're going to reap a bumper crop, the whirlwind. Our country has been sowing seed to the wind for a very long time. And I think just now we're starting to reap the whirlwind. 
You know, when you start teaching children that they're the center of the universe, you start teaching them that there are no absolutes, you start teaching them that man has evolved from an animal, he's not created. Those are the little seeds we're sowing. Little seeds, sowing to the wind, sowing to the wind, sowing to the wind. And now we're reaping the whirlwind. We have these school shootings. We have, you know, this tremendous, this, the violence. People go, man, there's an epidemic right now. Well, no, it's, we're reaping the whirlwind is what it is. There's an epidemic of violence. There's a drug epidemic. Well, the reason is we've been sowing to the seed, excuse me, seed, sowing seed to the wind for so long, and now we're reaping the whirlwind. And you know, the same thing is true with individuals as it is with our nation. Job 4.8 says, Even as I have seen those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. Proverbs 22.8, He who sows iniquity will reap sorrow, and the rod of his anger will fail. Galatians 6.7, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. And then he continues and says in verse 8, For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are the household of faith. See, there's a negative side to that, and there's a positive side. The negative side is if you sow to the wind, you sow those little seeds to the wind, eventually you're going to reap a harvest, and that harvest is going to be a bumper crop. There's not going to be a drought. There's not going to be a famine. There's just going to be a bumper crop of the whirlwind, of the consequences of your sin. But there's also the positive side. And that's the side that you can be encouraged about. You know, like just what I was saying, you know, talking to these people yesterday and just saying, you know, I want to pray for you. It's just a little seed. You know, we're not sitting there. We didn't have anyone pray to receive Christ yesterday. But, you know, we were sowing little seeds and I trust God and through prayer and through the Holy Spirit that, you know, that God's going to give us a bumper crop. And we may not see it this side of eternity, but God's going to take that seed and he's, it's going to germinate and he's going to produce a crop. So there's a positive side. So like he says here, don't grow weary while doing good because in due season you're going to reap a crop if you don't lose heart. He says here also, the stock has no bud. It shall never produce meal, and if it should produce, aliens would swallow it up. You know, a life lived after the flesh is only going to bring emptiness. Pursuing fleshly ambitions, it'll never bring you and I satisfaction. It's only going to give us a deeper hunger that can't be filled. And even if your life is lived after the flesh and you produce something that's tangible that you can point to, you know, for example... You know, I built this business. You know, I, I followed my own will. I, maybe I was unethical. I cut corners. I cheated on my taxes. Uh, I was so involved in my business, I, I had to quit church because, you know, um, I just didn't have time for that. So I dropped out of fellowship. I was too busy building my business. But look, I've got this business. I've worked hard for it, and I've got it. But the thing is, even if the stock has a bud, even if you have a little something there, it has no lasting value to sustain you. It has no eternal value. There's no satisfaction in it. It's just an empty shell. And even if there is any produce, even you say, look, but I'm still producing something. Well, the thing is, he says here, the enemy's going to swallow it up. In other words, it's never going to bring glory to the Lord if it's done in the flesh. If it's done, you know, that, if, if it's done that way, it will yield no meal. Uh, it's all chaff. You go to eat it and there's no nourishment because there's nothing there. And life becomes 
an empty empty chaff. And I guess the point of all this is that the the endeavors that you and I do according to the flesh or after the flesh, it'll only produce emptiness. It'll only produce waste when it comes to eternal value. Sowing to the wind, you're going to reap the whirlwind. And even if you do produce something, there's nothing there. It's empty. Verse 8, Israel is swallowed up. Now they are among the Gentiles like a vessel in which is no pleasure. A vessel in which is no pleasure among the Gentiles. You know, here they are, the children of Israel, led by God. They were God's chosen people. You know, when they first went into the land of, of Canaan, they had a reputation. I mean, the people were afraid of them because God had parted the, parted the Red Sea. The Egyptians drowned. You know, they had gone into, they had crossed the Jordan River. They went, walked around Jericho, and the walls came down. The, the, the whole city of Jericho was destroyed. And the rest of the armies, the rest of the, the enemies, man, they dreaded the children of Israel. And now they're captives in a foreign land. And they're like ridiculed. It's like, yeah, God's chosen people. <laughs> Look at them. You know, they're nothing now. They're slaves. Luke 14, verse 34 says, Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land nor for the dunghill, but men throw it out. He who has, an ear to, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Man, I, I don't want to be a vessel in which there's no pleasure. You know, I, I pray that, uh, you know, I never lose my saltiness. And I think that's what doing these outreaches is, is, is just trying to keep salty and being salt and light in our community. And so I encourage you to be a part of these things that we're doing. But not only are they a vessel in which is no pleasure among the Gentiles, but they are a vessel in which is no pleasure for the Lord. In 2 Timothy 2, Paul writes this in verse 20, But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. We, uh, uh, Teresa's from Duluth, and... Uh, her, uh, her mom and stepdad, he's passed away since then, but they lived in a house on the kind of just on the west side of Duluth, if you know, if you know the east and west Duluth. They were sort of on the west side, just the start of it. And where he had a house, uh, there was this empty, you know, Duluth has got hills. It's kind of like San Francisco in that sense. But um, there's this one spot between all these, you get all these old houses, and there's one spot that just kind of goes down the hill, and it's all overgrown with brush and everything. And uh, what it used to be, if you know the history of Duluth, it used to be the incline was there. It was like a cable car, basically. You go from Lake Street back up to the top of the hill there. And uh, so that whole area was where the cable car was in, I don't know, in the 30s or something, or 40s, it burned down or whatever. And uh, so they never built homes on it. So it's just a, just a strip of land, basically, that runs down this hill. And when we used to go up and visit, my boys would go into, the, into this brushy area, and they would find all kinds of stuff. I mean, they pulled prohibition bottles of whiskey and stuff, and empty, but I mean, they pull out these old things and dirty stuff, and they pull out these old wrenches. They... Uh, it's amazing what they found just scavenging around it there. And, you know, I'm kind of like my dad. My dad, you know, if something was in his garage for more than about a month or so, he would take it to the dump and get rid of it. You know, he's just, he just didn't like junk. But never go to a garage sale. You don't buy other people's junk. You know, that, that was his attitude. So I have a little bit of that um, in me. And so these, these boys would bring these, these jars and stuff. And I'm like, man, they've got 
junk all over it. You don't, I mean, why are you even touching those? It looks like, it's like rummaging in a garbage dump, you know, and stuff. And then they'd clean it up. Teresa would go, oh, that's awesome. Clean it up. And here we got these old antique Hilux bleach bottles and these, all this depressionary glass. And, and uh, they, this one wrench is just, just old wrench. It actually was a wrench from the incline. Um, you know, so, I mean, they're valuable stuff now. They could probably sell them on eBay or something, but, but, uh, the amazing thing is they, they were junk and yet they got cleaned up and, and they're good. And, you know, sometimes sin does that with you and I, we end up becoming a vessel that's for dishonor because we've allowed sin to encroach in our lives. We've compromised. And, and now we're not, we're not useful to the Lord when we're walking in sin, when we're not, when we're not submitted to him, but the good news is he can turn it around. If you turn to the Lord and repent, he can clean you off and he can once more be a vessel for honor. That's the whole point in that story. <laughs> Verse 9. For they have gone up to Assyria like a wild donkey alone by itself. Ephraim has hired lovers. What he's referring to here is Menahem. He was one of the one of the last, not the last, but one of the last kings of the northern kingdom of Israel. And Second uh, Kings fifteen uh, talks about what he did. It says, I'm going to just read it to you real quick. It says, in the thirty ninth year of Azariah, king of Judah, Menahem, the son of Gadi, became king over Israel, and he reigned ten years in Samaria, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart all his days from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who had made Israel sin. Pool, king of Assyria came against the land, and Menahem gave Pool a thousand talents of silver that his hand might be with him to strengthen the kingdom under his control. And Menahem exacted the money from Israel, from all the wealthy, from each man's fifty shekels of silver to give to the king of Assyria. So the king of Assyria turned back and did not stay there in the land. And so what, what, what Menahem did, he was afraid of Assyria. And so he took, he, he took a tax, basically, from the very poorest, the very wealthy, everyone, 50 shekels of silver. And he bribed, basically, Assyria not to attack them. And, and it worked for a time. But what a sad commentary, because it says here in the beginning of verse 9, for they have gone up to Assyria. You know, the Jews normally go up to Jerusalem. That's just a phrase. You're going up to Jerusalem because Jerusalem's on the hill. And, and uh, if you read through the book of Psalms, you get into Psalms like Psalm in the, around the 120 range, Psalm 122. If you look in your Bible, it's called the Psalm of Ascents. You go, what, what does that mean, a Psalm of Ascent? Well, what it means is, is the children of Israel were going up to Jerusalem to worship the Lord. They were going up to the temple. They would be worshiping. They would be reciting these psalms. They'd be singing these songs going up to Jerusalem. What a sad commentary. They're so low now. They're just going up to Assyria. You see, you catch the wording there? They've gone up to Assyria. Like a wild donkey alone by itself. And if you have any picture of a donkey in your mind, you know that they're stubborn to begin with. But a wild donkey... I mean, a wild donkey is like, you know, there's absolutely zero training. There's, I mean, you got a, a, donkey, a donkey that's trained. It's, it's, you know, it's still stubborn, but you get a wild one. I mean, there's like, there's no intervention. It's just completely wild. And then alone by itself. I mean, you get, you get the whole picture of the ultimate stubborn, ultimate stubbornness of anything. A, a wild donkey alone by itself. No advice, no counsel, whatever. And it says Ephraim has hired lovers. Now, that's kind of odd because normally it's the other way around. 
normally lovers hire a prostitute. Excuse me for the, you know, the roughness of that, but that's kind of the truth, right? But here it is. Ephraim, the prostitute, is paying her lovers to commit adultery with her. That, that's how God's showing, looking at it. What are you guys doing? Such a sad picture and such a picture of the twisted and backwards effects of sinful rebellion. You know, when, when, when a person walks away from the Lord, especially a believer, and they start backsliding and they start, it, it's, they, they end up being worse than unbelievers, partly because they know the truth. But partly, it's just—it just—it's amazing how low they people will sink to. It's—it's it's, it's amazing. Verse ten: Yes, though they have hired among the nations, now I will gather them, and they shall sorrow a little because of the burden of the king of princes. Now, Menahem had instituted a tax, like I said, on every man of Israel to give uh, to the king of Assyria in order to bribe uh, Israel, uh, Syria not to attack Israel, and it did work for a time. But that tax was burdensome. For the poor, I mean, it says that he taxed all the people, but you know, mentions the wealthy one percent, right? The the wealthy people in Israel. Sorry, it's a political thing, but he also mentions the poor. So, so even the poor had to pay this tax. So it was a burden, especially on the poor things, and that's what he's on the poor people. And that's what's saying they sorrowed a little because of the burden of the king of princes. The king of princes is referring to the king of Assyria, but because of their rebellion, they may be sorrowing now, you know, but they're going to be sorrowing a lot more when God gathers the Assyrians against them. That's what this verse is saying. You're sorrowing now. You, I mean, you know, you kind of did it to yourselves, but it's going to be that much more worse. Finally, when Assyria uh, takes you into captivity, verse 11, because Ephraim has made many altars for sin. They have become for him altars for sinning. And there was only to be one altar. And that was in the temple in Jerusalem. But Ephraim, the northern ten tribes, they committed sin by setting up multiple altars, altars for sin, for sacrificing, but it was itself sin. And so they basically what they did was they set themselves up for more sin. Proverbs 131 says, Therefore they shall eat the fruit of their own way and be filled to the full with their own fancies. You know, too often we put ourselves in a place of sin. We set ourselves up for sin. You know, we, 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 we would put ourselves in these compromising situations, and then we're surprised that we've fallen into sin. Well, yeah, because you've set yourself up for it. So you've set yourself up for sin, you're, you're going to sin. Verse 12, I have written for him the great things of my law, but they were considered a strange thing. You know, just think about that. God had written them such wonderful things. You know, the Word of God never ceases to amaze me. Psalm 118, excuse me, Psalm 119.18 says, Open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from your law. You know, it's an amazing thing about God's Word. It's a living, active Word of God. And, and you know, someone can be sharing something. Uh, you can be reading something, and all of a sudden it's like the light bulb turns on and God speaks to you. Have you ever had that relation, that situation, you know, that's just... It's wonderful. Now, for an unbeliever, the Bible says that the natural man, they don't receive the things of the Spirit. They can't discern it. But for you and I, once you become a believer and you start following the Lord, you know, all of a sudden, God's Word just comes alive to you. And as you obey God's Word, He starts revealing more things to you. And it's amazing that God communicates to you. Now, Last week, actually it was maybe it was Friday, I don't know, Thursday or Friday, a friend of mine sent me an email and they shared with me that the Lord gave them a verse. 
and that this verse had spoken to him. They were, they were in a situation, he thinks he might, his wife did get laid off a while ago, and he thinks he might be getting laid off here pretty soon. And he says, you know what, the Lord gave me a verse. You love it when the Lord does that, he gives you a verse. He says, the Lord gave me a verse, and he quoted it. It's, it's Philippians 4, 6 through 7. It says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. And so he, he shared that verse, and it, God gave it to him. He's, he's like, it's his word for that day, for that time, for that situation. And he shared this with me. Well, if you know the background, you know, these cards, uh, I had it here a minute ago. Here it is. You know, these QR barcodes. Uh, I'm like, okay, great. We're going to have these on this outreach. We're going to give these to people. They're going to click on it, or maybe when they get home, they'll go to the website, and the website's down. I was in panic mode this week. I, you know, I'm not Mr. Cool. I wasn't Mr. Cool, man of faith. Oh, God will work it out. I was like, oh, what am I going to do? I was, my wife's like, you need to handle stress a little better. <laughs> I was stressed out this week. I, I confess that I was. I, I was not, uh, I was not a man of faith this week. I was a man of panic. And uh, so I was really, and, and so this guy's sharing with me. He's like, hey, God gave me this verse. And all of a sudden it's like, boom. God's like, hey, buddy, it's, it's for you too. But doesn't, isn't that wonderful that God does that? He loves us so much. He cares about even the most intimate or the most insignificant things, even like what Jesse, Jesse shared this morning. Some of you might say, what's the big deal? It is a big deal for Jesse. It's a big deal. And look how God cared enough to work things out for her. That's because God loves us. You know what can also happen, though? God sometimes is like... He was knocking on my heart this morning, you know, with his verse and going, "Hey, buddy, this is for you too." But sometimes, what can happen is God gives you and I a specific word, and you know what we end up doing? We, it's a strange thing. In other words, it's like that's not for me. I know who needs to hear that verse. They, I wish they were here to hear that message. You know, I wish this is. And we think about it belongs to someone else, and all along God's been trying to say, "No, it's for you. It's for you." And it, oh, it becomes strange to us. It's not for me. It's for somebody else. That's a dangerous thing to do. I encourage you not to do that. Um, God had written great things for the children of Israel, but it was considered by them strange. In other words, it was meant for someone else, not them. Verse 13, For the sacrifices of my offerings, they sacrifice flesh and eat it, but the Lord does not accept them. Now we will remember their iniquity and punish their sins. They shall return to Egypt. They were still going through the motions of, of offering sacrifices, but without changing their hearts. It's like coming to church, but still walking in whatever sin you're still walking in. You're still continuing in this, in this habitual sin or whatever it is, but you're coming to church or you're reading your Bible or you're, doing, you're going through the motions, basically, but your heart's not changed. And God says plainly, hey, your sacrifices that you offer, I don't accept them. Because He sees through. He sees our hearts. And He says... Now he will remember their iniquity and punish their sins. That's a frightening thing. Psalm 32, 2 says, Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. You know, blessed are you are so blessed when God doesn't account any of our sins against us. That's what imputing means. God, God says, you know what? Your sins, I, I'm removing them as far as the east is from the west. I'm choosing to forget your sins. That's what God does when we confess them to him. What a scary thing when God says, no, I'm going to remember your sins, buddy. God doesn't have a... 
It's not that God can't remember our sins, but God chooses not to. And, but here he says, no, I'm going to choose to remember your sins. It says, they shall return to Egypt. Now, some of them actually did end up going back to Egypt through um, as part of the Syrian captivity. But I think this could also be referring to the longing of the children of Israel to return back to Egypt. So often, God had delivered them from bondage in Egypt. And all the way through their journey, you know, in the wilderness, they were wanting to go back to, to Egypt. God delivered Egypt. God delivered them out of Egypt, but he couldn't get Egypt out of them. They kept wanting to go back to bondage. And so God says, okay, you want to go back to bondage? Go ahead. And I think that's what God does sometimes when we continually, stubbornly pursue a path of sin and we don't want to return from it. God finally says, okay, okay, this is what you want so bad. Okay, go ahead. You can have it. You can live in it. And not that he wants us to. I'm sure it breaks his heart, but he allows us to to bear the consequences of, of living in the world. Verse 14, for Israel has forgotten his maker and has built temples. Judah has also multiplied fortified cities, but I will send fire upon his cities and it shall devour his palaces. Israel has forgotten his maker. And back there in verse 2, they would have argued that. They would have said, hey, hey, God, we know you. What do you mean we forgot you? We, we know you. But by their actions, they showed that they forgot their maker. And it was evident by the fact that they worshipped idols. And it was evident by the fact that they build fortified cities because the, and, and going to Syria trying to bribe them because they no longer trusted in God. They trusted in themselves. You know, I have to ask ourselves today, you know, have we forgotten our maker? And you go, what do you mean? I, I'm, I'm here at church. Church, you know, how can I forget my maker? Listen to this, though. Ephesians 2.10. Paul writes this, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So I want to just encourage you this morning. Don't forget that God's your maker and don't forget that he's prepared good works for you to walk in. Sometimes we just we, we forget about that. You know, we just go through we go through our daily grind and jobs Monday through Friday and all that and our, our vacations and all the stuff. And, and we forget that, you know what, God has created us and he saved us, but he saved us for a purpose. He's created us for a purpose. And that's to do um, that we should do good works for Jesus Christ. And so I want to encourage you, don't forget the Lord God. Don't forget that he created you and that there's a purpose for your life. Why don't you stand up and let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer. You know, the last thing of this verse says, God says that he's going to send fire upon their cities and it shall devour his palaces. Sometimes, you know, we need that fire from the Lord. It's not a fire for destruction. It's a fire to purify us. And God will do that because, you know, Judgment does begin with the house of the Lord first. And so this fire is not necessarily a bad thing. We may think it's a bad thing, but God's trying to purify our lives. So let's go, Lord, in prayer. Father, Lord, thank you for your word this morning. And, Father, I pray that we as uh, believers, Lord God, we who have a personal relationship with you, Father, that, Lord, we would just be mindful of the fact that, Lord, we have been saved for a purpose. Lord, that you've created us. Lord, you've known us from the womb. And Lord God, that you have a plan for our lives. And Father, I pray that we might pursue that plan. Lord, I pray that, uh, Father, if there's uh, areas in our lives that you're trying to speak to us through your word, Father, I pray that we might heed your word. 
Lord, that we might uh, be obedient to your word and respond to your word and not think it means it belongs to someone else, but, Lord, that we would take it to our heart and respond to it. And so I thank you for that reminder this morning. Lord, I thank you for each and every person here. Father, I pray your blessing upon them this week. I thank you for them, Lord God. And uh, Lord, I just pray that you would just reveal yourselves to yourself to them in an even greater way this coming week, Lord. And uh, Lord, we love you and bless you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.